This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. It's like, did I time it right? (laughs) And then I ruined it by questioning it. (laughs) It's so good to be back here with you. I'm Jenny Klaus. I work with InterVarsity. A Christian Fellowship of Campus Ministry. Uh, so fun to have Maggie, one of our students, and one of your congregation members singing today. Um, that I love that song. Um, well, the original. Um, that was my grandpa's favorite hymn. Um, such a beautiful um, song. Thanks for leading us in worship today. So today we end our Thanksgiving holiday. So... What are you thankful for from the holiday or from this past year? I want you to share with a neighbor. For me, I was grateful to share this holiday with some of our SRJC football players who attend Bible study every week with InterVarsity. Um, after we ate, we, you know, tossed the football around, as you do. Um, and my first few throws were pretty lousy. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but by the end, I had a nice spiral on my throw and got complimented. So I was very thankful that I didn't totally embarrass myself in front of the football players. <laughs> um, we had a nice time. So today we pick up where we left off the last time I was here in October. Um, We studied Ephesians chapter 1, and it was the end of the chapter, and we focused on the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Are there ways that you've seen God's power at work in your life in just the past month? Awesome. I'm so glad. As we talk about, we expect God to show up. These things that we talk about on Sunday or throughout the week in your small groups just aren't things that go in one ear and out the other. We expect God um, to move and to work in our lives. So that's great. Well, we're going to continue with chapter 2 of Ephesians. um, And we're going to read verses 1 to 7. And I'm reading um, from the NRSV updated edition. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, doing the will of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. 
Creator God, thank you for already being here with us. You've been here all week looking forward to spending um, this time with us. So give us ears to hear um, from your word today um, so that we may know you more and deepen our relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the writer begins, you were dead through the trespasses and sins. Now, this is a Jewish way of speech. It meant that the wicked are dead. So if you're bound in sin, you're doomed to death. That was this way of thinking. So people in their trespasses and sins might think they're alive, but actually they're really dead. They're experiencing the foretaste of death because they're enjoying or they're engaging life without God. So they're on their way to death, but they don't even know it. Kind of like our phrase, he's a walking dead man or dead man walking, where someone's on their way to an unavoidable loss that they don't even know about. Then the writer continues in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Now, the ruler of the power of the air is a reference to the Satan, which, is, which just means the accuser. Um, that is what Satan's name means, the accuser. The air was the lowest realm of the heavens in Jewish understanding, and that's where the evil spirit beings dwelled. And this was below the realm of God. So people who are dead through their trespasses and sins are following, one, the influence of the world, the, experiencing the brokenness and the fallenness of creation, and two, the writer says, also following the influence of the Satan who is at work in those who are disobedient. So those two aspects cover a lot of our experiences living our lives. Because sometimes it's just the brokenness of creation that impacts us. Things that we don't choose, things that are outside of our control, negatively impact us and hurt us um, and really hurt our lives. Other times, evil is at play directly in the world and in other people. The writer doesn't hold back any punches. Uh, I probably wouldn't say this, like, you know, so boldly. The evil spirit is at work in those who are disobedient. Um, are all disobedient people influenced by the evil one? Um, that's, I'm like, whoa, that's intense. <laughs> Maybe through how the accuser leads people astray from God. Uh, maybe through how evil thoughts get planted by the evil one in someone's mind that then they act upon. I'm not sure of all the hows and whys and whens of how the evil one is actually at work in those who are disobedient. But what I am convinced of as Christians is that we should not be surprised that evil exists in the world. While our culture can often talk about progress and development and how can that possibly still be happening today, we should not be surprised that evil is present and at work among us. 
our scriptures make it very clear from Genesis 3 that there is a force in this world opposed to God. N.T. Wright defines evil as the force of anti-creation, anti-life, the force which opposes and seeks to deface and destroy God's good world of space, time, and matter, and above all, God's image-bearing human creatures. So we must not just lightly explain away evil or try to soften the blow when people are experiencing horrible things. It really is that bad. There really is evil present amongst us in the brokenness of creation and in a force opposed to God's goodness. Right now, I imagine you might, your mind might be bringing up different experiences of facing evil or reading about it in the news. I mean, shootings keep happening in Colorado and um, at Walmart. Um, abuse keeps happening. Wildfires and hurricanes and earthquakes, just another one in Indonesia, they just keep happening and wars keep happening. Sometimes it just feels so overwhelming, like there's not an end to the evil around us. And the writer continues. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and senses, We were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. So it's not just evil out there and the brokenness of creation or in the evil one. There's actually evil in us, the writer says. We're responsible for the evil in our passions and our flesh and our senses and our corrupt desires and our disordered thinking We can tend to blame other people for all the evil in the world, or we can unleash our anger and frustration at all the evil at ourselves. And the writer boldly declares that we are children of wrath, which in the Jewish way of thinking means people destined for judgment, condemned to suffer God's holy anger directed at sin. Andy Crouch, in his book, Playing God, quotes a psychiatrist. Hold on, let me get a drink. (laughs) So Andy wrote, All idols begin by offering great things for a very small price. But idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. Whatever we put at the center of our lives other than God is an idol and the trespasses and sins that this writer is talking about. Our idols and sins start off looking really good. We get a great reward without much investment. But over time, the idols will take everything from us and give us nothing in return. So our trespasses and our sins are actually a death sentence 
because they lead us toward loss, even though they promised us gain. One could say about these three verses that when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, when we were following the Satan at work in the world, when we were consumed by our own corrupt desires, that we were the walking dead. We were zombies. We think we're alive, but really we're dead. And we don't even know we're on our way to death. We don't even know we're dead. But that is what we were, the writer of Ephesians says. We were walking dead men. So where have you experienced evil in the world? Or what disordered thinking impacts your life? Or what idols have a chokehold in your life? I want to give you a moment to reflect. For me, I can tend to let um, Satan's accusations linger in my mind just too long. In discussing society's beauty standards with my teenage daughter this week, I told her that we can have an inner peace um, that isn't dependent on what others think of us um, because God made us the way we are and he loves us. My daughter is just too smart, <laughs> and she always catches me off guard, and she asked me this question quite often, and she asked it again this week, and she said, do you love yourself, Mom? And that's hard to answer. I know I should say yes and model the inner peace that I was just telling her about, <laughs> but the accuser's lies just sometimes fill my mind. If I was more this or less that, then you know, my husband wouldn't have left me. And I know these aren't true, um, and I would like to get rid of these accusations from my mind permanently so I could really see myself the way God does and live in his love um, without fear and worry. I don't know what came up for you in that time of silence, but there's Lots of things and evil that we're faced with in our own minds and around us. And in light of these three verses, I just want to like cry out to God, help us. Lord, have mercy on us. And it almost feels like the writer of Ephesians senses our desperation. And he comes to our aid in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us. What a contrast to what all we've just been reading in verses 1 to 3. What a difference from what comes before and what comes after. These few little letters, but God. And what do we learn about God from verse 4? God is rich in mercy he acts out of great love, and God loved us. God delights to bestow his love on his people, and he is at work in us. What a stark contrast to verses 1 to 3. 
even when we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So God's power resurrects us to real life. God saw that we were dead, and God made us alive. God knew the truth of our situation, and God did something to change our situation. God knew that we didn't have the power to change our death sentence, and God used his power to make us alive together with Christ. God knows our overwhelming feelings of dread as we anticipate the next news story or a personal experience with evil. But God, out of his great love and mercy, saves us from a zombie life. And God raised us up with him, the writer continues, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this might sound familiar because we talked about this in chapter 1, verse 20, when I was last year. God put this power of his, this immeasurable greatness of power that we talked about last time, to work in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And Jesus is now in the most honored place in the spiritual realm because he's sitting at, Jesus right, at God's right hand. So God's immeasurable greatness of power raised Christ from the dead and seated him with him in the ultimate influence in the spiritual realm. And the writer expands on that point here. Jesus' followers are with Christ on his throne. We are seated with Christ and over all the evil powers in the air that he talked about previously. The writer finishes in our section today by saying, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All of this is because of grace. This is even the second time we've seen grace. It's repeated twice in this short passage. All of this is from God's grace to us. We don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it, but we receive his love and his kindness and the riches of his grace toward us. So we still experience, we will experience this fully in the age to come, the writer says, in the, you know, in the age to come. But our salvation has assured us and revealed in Christ so that we can begin experiencing it now. We don't have to wait until the coming age. We have begun to experience the transfer from the realm of death to the realm of life already. And this grace toward us is because of Christ Jesus. Another repeated phrase in this passage is in Christ Jesus. It's repeated twice. We are raised and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we are shown the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus made all this possible through his death and his resurrection. So again, we are not to be surprised that evil exists in the world because 
Jesus faced it head on on the cross. N.T. Wright wrote, an evil and the justice of God. What we see in the Gospels is not a philosophical explanation of evil, but the story of an event in which God deals with it. God rescues his people from the evil in which they are trapped, and he does so through the suffering of Israel's representative. The result is that God's covenant with his people is renewed. Sins are forgiven. The long night of sorrow, exile, and death is over, and a new day has dawned. Evil is so bad that God did something about it through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God didn't minimize or explain away or just dismiss the negative effects of evil and sin in the world. Instead, God acted with his full force of power to deal with evil for all time through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As Wright says, all cosmic and earthly and personal evil are met by the sovereign saving love of God on the cross. Thank you, God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) When we receive God's love and gift of grace through Christ Jesus' death and resurrection, the immeasurable riches of God's love and kindness are shown in our lives. Have you received God's gift of love and grace in your life? If you haven't yet, you can do that today. It's a simple thing, and yet it's the hardest thing ever of saying yes to Jesus, acknowledging that you need him, that you you have experienced corrupt desires and sin and you're caught in your trespasses and you need a savior. That can be really hard to admit, but also so simple to say, Jesus, I trust you in your death and resurrection. I want to follow you and become a follower of the way. You can tell that to God today. When we receive God's gift of love and grace and kindness, we become fully alive. We are no longer headed for doom. We're no longer headed for a death that we don't even know about. We are headed for God's presence. We are headed for reigning with him in the heavenly places. We are saved from a life doomed to death. We are now alive. We are not walking dead. We are dancing alive or kneeling alive or jumping alive. What posture does being alive look like for you? When you picture being fully alive, what pose comes to your mind? How do you envision yourself like physically responding to God's gift of real life? Ooh, all right. I like it. Thank you for starting us off because we're all going to enact our pose. Now, I know that may sound weird, but I work with college students, and I also, I just want them to embody things. Things stay so much in our head, and when you do something, it kind of works towards muscle memory, right, and sports and everything. And I, and I want it to go deeper than just, yay, we're alive. I want it to go deep into our soul. We're alive. So we're going to embody it today. So uh, you may not um, 
be able to fully do what you picture physically, and that's okay. Do what you can or imagine yourself doing it. But in a minute, we are going to strike our pose, okay? So maybe everybody stand up as you are able, and um, I'm going to count us up to three, okay? And then we're all going to strike a pose. I'm going to do it too. We're all in it together. Um, Are you ready? You got your pose in your mind? The worship team's coming up. All right, you ready? So when I say three, strike your pose, right? One, two, three. Yay! I'm like skipping. I think skipping is like a happy dance. Okay. Yay! Awesome. <laughs> Let me pray. God, this is our act of thanksgiving to you for making us alive. This posture is a foretaste of our new life in the age to come. And this is a picture of your glory seen in our lives. So as we took a risk to vulnerably pose, would you receive it as a gift of our love to you? Amen. You may keep standing. Um, So we have begun to experience transfer from the realm of death um, to the realm of resurrection and life. We know for sure and we have a confident hope that we will experience the final transfer from death to life when Jesus comes again. And God fulfilled his Old Testament prophecies in the first coming of Jesus. And God will fulfill his New Testament prophecies in the second coming of Jesus. So on this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. And we're going to pray Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7 together as a liturgy. So that's why I want you to keep standing. Um, I will read the leader part, and then all together we will say the congregation part. Um, All right. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar that crosses their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen, Lord. You will accomplish this promise. 
Our hope is in you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.